You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. Before I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, here's one of the passages he quotes, as it is written, and this is out of 2 Samuel and Psalm 18, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. All right, keep, keep, keep hold of these. He's about to, he's writing his research paper here. He's going to quote a few more passages. So number one, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing to your name. He's giving evidence as to how in the Old Testament God is showing that he's reaching uh, the nations, people outside of the, uh, his Jewish brothers and sisters. So there's one verse. His next verse. And again it said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. That's out of Deuteronomy 32. And again, next verse, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. That's Psalm 117. And he's not done with his research paper. Number four, and again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. That right there comes from Isaiah and, uh, yeah, namely from Isaiah, Isaiah 11.10. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. All right. We're going to hone in on Paul's little research paper here. I know that's what you came to church for. You wanted to hear somebody's research paper. But I actually find this super intriguing right here. And part of the reason is... um, because of what Paul does in the Bible. And I've talked about this a little bit before, so I may be rehashing it for some of you. But here's the big no-no in Bible school, okay? If you're writing a paper and you quote a Bible passage, the professor is going to do everything in his power to make sure the passage you just quoted is in context with how the Bible used it. And if it is not... You will get a red mark on your paper. (laughs) And if you do that a lot, you are going to fail your paper. And the reason is, in the scholarly world, if you will, in the scholarly world, your job is to make sure you are taking the Bible in context and not abusing it. Can you think of uh, some passages, help me out here, some passages that people quote out of context all the time in order to abuse the Bible in some way or get what they want? Anybody got anything that comes right to the top of their head? Caitlin? Yeah, Jeremiah 29.11. Uh, I'm going to double back to that passage because I have my own long story on that. Thanks for taking my main point already, Caitlin. Everyone always does this. Any, no, I'm just kidding. Any other passages that get taken out of context all the time? All right. Uh, yes. 
Yeah, there's like five different passages like that. Yeah, so sometimes people cherry pick passages and take it out of context, and then it means something entirely different. People do that to Paul and women, things he says about women all the time, to say that women can't be in ministry, whereas if you pay attention to everything Paul says all the time, he's clearly working with women in ministry everywhere he goes. Like at the end of Romans in a moment, when he's like, say hi to the Apostle Junia. <laughs> And to the deaconess Phoebe, it's like, that's church leadership positions. Paul clearly worked with women in ministry, uh, despite taking them out of context to say otherwise. What else? Anything? Yeah, judge not lest you be judged, which is great. The Bible says not to judge others. But we also see plenty of times in the Bible where Paul is judging others. <laughs> despite the fact that Paul is also one. Actually, last week, Romans 14, Paul said, don't judge people. But there are these moments where Paul does see an appropriate place to, like, cast judgment. That kind of appropriate place would be, namely, when you see sin in the church. Um, uh, I think a lot of times the Bible is like, look, we expect to find sin in the world. If we're going to cast judgment within the church, a lot of times it, it's got to be, like, we've got to point things out. So if you go to Revelation, Jesus writes letters to seven churches. And he tells them what they do great, but he also tells them what they do bad. Jesus declares some judgment over them if they're not going to get it together. So judge not lest you be judged, yet at the same time, there is an appropriate kind of judgment, and you've got to weigh the Bible passages to understand when it is appropriate and when it is not. Yeah. Anything else? Prosperity passages all the time get quoted to like talk about how God's just going to make us all rich and just wants to have our lives be one giant famous person success story type thing, right? Uh, that's the narrative of Disney, not of the Bible. But uh, a lot of times we take the Bible passages and lump it onto our Disney theology. Uh, but yeah, let's go ahead and circle back to Jeremiah 29, 11, because that was my prosperity passage when I was a kid. So when I was a kid, uh, that became the new John three sixteen. Anybody else go through that? No? Y'all, y'all avoided that. <laughs> I remember hearing Jeremiah twenty nine eleven at church one Sunday, and very rarely when I was a kid would verses pop out and catch my attention. But that one, that one hit me and stuck with me. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord: plans to prosper you, not to harm you; plans to give you hope; plans to give you a great future. And that's all terrific. That's that's all things that God cares about because He cares about you. He is not looking to uh, uh, destroy your life. He is looking to bring into your life um, love and joy and peace and patience and all these kinds of things. It's not saying he's going to bring you a whole bunch of money and a nice red car and a private jet and all that. But, of course, he cares about your life and your quality of life and things like that. Uh, not to the same standard that uh, the prosperity gospel has become, but, of course, he cares about you. But I heard that passage once in church. It caught my attention. And then I started seeing it everywhere on every web page, in every message. And little did I know that it was it just belonged with a mega church series that all of our churches had bought and were preaching. So, of course, I was hearing it everywhere. Everyone was basically using the same exact curriculum on every web page and, and everything. So 
Uh, I've seen this passage everywhere. It's catching my attention all the time. And it went straight to my head as a kid. I wanted to be a musician. I, I wanted to travel the world and play my music. And so I was like, God has great plans for me. He's try- I've seen this verse 40 times in two months. Yeah, that's, that's what he wants for me, to, to be a famous musician traveling the world. The Jamin's Disney theology just taken off right here. And uh, um, that went super to my head. And that was my, like, I took that passage out of context and let it go crazy. But that passage touched a lot of people. It's become a very popular passage in the Bible. Uh, One day, I learned the context of that passage. Does anybody know what it is? Anybody remember what Jeremiah was actually talking about here? Yes. Yeah, basically Jeremiah was like, look, you're all about to be kidnapped, exiled, Jerusalem, our whole nation, is done. And we're all going to have to go live in Babylon. But here's what God says to you. So you got to be thinking like I just hit rock bottom. Here's what God says to you, though you've hit rock bottom. I still have plans for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Don't worry just because everything feels like it's falling apart. Don't think that I, I have no idea. I mean, there's a COVID There's a pandemic word right there, right? I know it seems like everything's falling apart, but don't worry, I have a plan for you. And the plan was, while you live in Babylon, you are going to contribute to the prosperity of Babylon. And as Babylon prospers, you too will prosper. (laughs) That's the context of the verse. And we cut all that out. We just read, ooh, God really wants me to prosper. When in fact, God was saying, like, I'm telling you, you need to take care of the, the, the enemies that kidnap you. And as you take care of your enemies, you will find prospering in the midst of that. But that's a very different context. That's a very different prophetic word. But we do just like that one part. So then there becomes this question, like, that verse really took off. And the way, the way in which it took off, I've seen it happen with several other verses throughout my life where somebody quotes a verse, the whole congregation, it just catches fire in their head. Like it, it all just hits them all at the same time. And then it spreads like a wildfire until we have a new John 3.16. Like suddenly all churches around the globe are constantly quoting a, a new verse. And, and when I see things like that, I'm always like, well... The context of Jeremiah 29, 11, it's not, it's not exactly the way that we treat it. But does that mean that God can't use his own scripture out of context to say something to us? Can he? Can he not? Is that cheating? Is that how the Bible works? And that's the question that we have with Paul right here. Paul just quoted four different passages, and at least two or three of them are completely out of context. Paul, Paul's Romans theology is brilliant. And if Paul had attended my university, he would have failed on Romans 15. Here's four passages to make my point. Uh, nope, 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 and kind of Paul. <laughs> this is weird, but the Bible does this all the time. And this is, this is what I want you to, to catch a glimpse of. I don't like it when we take the Bible out of context, but I have to be honest that the Bible takes itself out of context all the time, and it weirds me out. And I think we'll see why this is important to learn about, though, here in a minute. So 
Let me, let me take a look at, at our first passage here. That, this will help you kind of get a glimpse of it. So the first thing that Paul quoted, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. That is Psalm 1849, all right? Let me read a little bit of Psalm 18 so you can kind of get some of the backdrop of it. Uh, so here we have a psalm written by David. And I'm just going to back up a few passages to, to 43 here. You delivered me from the strife with the people. You made me the head of nations. People whom I had not known served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be the God of my salvation. The God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who rescued me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the man of violence. Here's Paul's part. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. <laughs> okay. When Paul quotes this passage, he says... We, we have in the Old Testament these moments where the nations worship God. And I'm calling all of us into this loving unity as now all the nations, all the Gentiles, join us in praising God. Paul quotes that passage from David. But in David's context, Paul, uh, David's context, David was saying, God, you've made me defeat armies of my enemies. They will worship you. <laughs> Whereas Jesus, in Paul's context, is... Jesus loved us so much, he died on a cross for everybody. His enemies and his friends included. Love is the greatest law. He just said that two chapters ago. This fulfills everything. And this is how he reached the nations. Mm -hmm. And we pause and we're like, Paul, in context, like Psalm, that Psalm was kind of about like David hating his enemies. And yet you took it and you used it to say how much God loves his enemies. I think if we brought that up to Paul, he'd be like, yeah. And then he does it in the next two passages. He quotes too more war material for the most part, where he's going to quote things about making the nations like reigning over them, making them serve God, uh, things like that. But Paul takes it and then he turns it into to a different tone. What causes him to see this in a different tone? Anybody? cross right it's jesus here's the thing for paul and a lot of the new testament writers a lot of the new testament writers are going to quote old testament passages out of context the reason they do it is because jesus becomes the lens through which they see everything everything so there are passages in the Old Testament where like we would read those and be like, wow, that feels kind of morbid, David. That was a little intense. And yet the New Testament would read that and be like, wow, look at how much Jesus loves people. Or you're like, context doesn't really work out. No, no, no. We see everything through the lens of Jesus now. And that's, that's a different way to see the world. Do you do that? I tell you, when I read the Old Testament... There's plenty of times where I miss the lens of Jesus and it just messes with me. 
But the Holy Spirit came upon Paul, came upon uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all of them, and and, and began to to illustrate old passages. The Holy Spirit would retell old passages with the light of the cross, with the light of Jesus, so that they would start seeing them as Jesus would see them. And soon, they're seeing Jesus where they didn't before. And I tell you, when I read the prophets in the Old Testament and I feel all this doom and gloom and sadness, it would do me a lot of good if I could come to that with the lens of Jesus so that I could see it in the light that Jesus wants me to see. It might feel out of context sometimes in the way the New Testament quotes the Old Testament, but it's actually the Holy Spirit illuminating passages in new ways. And Jesus illustrated that himself. He actually showed us that that's going to happen. I don't know if you remember the story. It's the walk to Emmaus, right? Uh, Jesus has died. The disciples think he's dead, dead. They didn't listen to anything he said about coming back alive. <laughs> and and uh, um, they're like, where? And Jesus is dead. Then Jesus walks up to them, but he's disguised. They don't recognize Jesus. And Jesus is talking to them. About himself. Like, what's going on? Oh, haven't you heard of these days? Uh, Jesus, we thought he was the Messiah. We were following him, but but then he died, and, and now we're all alone. And Jesus is like, wait, hang on. Haven't, haven't you listened to the scriptures? Haven't you read the Old Testament? Like, don't you, don't you realize what happened here? And then Jesus, who they don't recognize, Jesus begins to quote Old Testament passages all the way from... Uh, It says the law to the prophets. So he's just going through the whole Old Testament saying, do you see how Jesus fulfilled this and this and this and this verse and this verse and this verse? And the disciples, they start to come alive. They they feel their hearts burning within them. It's like, wow, yeah, that, that is what he did. We never realized the Old Testament in that light before. We never realized what Jesus did. We never realized that the cross was the point, not just like a thing that happened by accident on the way. The cross was a bait and switch on Satan. It was a a Trojan horse brought behind the gates of Hades so that Jesus could storm out, take the keys of death and go back to earth and go up to heaven. Suddenly the disciples realize, like, we, we've misunderstood the Old Testament. There, there was this other layer of spiritual understanding on top of it. that We needed Jesus Christ as our lens in order to understand it. So, could something like Jeremiah 29.11, taken out of context, also be a word spoken over our generation to remind us that God loves us and that he's calling us into deeper depths of... Um, of life with him, a life that is flourishing because he's not looking to um, destroy us. Yes, he could. God could do that. He could take a New Testament passage out of con- or an Old Testament passage out of context to teach us something. Am I super comfortable with that? Not really. The whole like Bible side of me is like, no, don't do that. That's not a good thing. But I, I can't always speak to that. Have you ever had someone, uh, let's try it this way. Have you ever heard one of Jesus' parables translated uh, into several different meanings and all of them felt right? Anybody? Hands up. Hands up. 
Anyway. Cool, two of you. All right, okay. Yeah, I've seen that too. Where it's like, well, is that what Jesus was trying to say? Uh, not in my opinion, but at the same time, the takeaway that you have of it, that seems reasonable. It makes sense. And even more so, it makes sense to your specific context. Actually, I was just doing this today. Uh, a parable came to my mind. Someone who needed to know that God had given them amazing talent and that God wanted the talent to be given back to him. I quoted Jesus' parable about talents to them. Now, talents in Jesus' parable are what? What's a talent in New Testament time? It's money, yes. A talent in the Greek time is like a, a certain amount of money, just like we have pennies and dollars and $100 bill, things like that. But like at the same time, I knew like this passage, this is for you. And in this particular case, it is about like your actual talents. Now, is that a different meaning on the parable? Yes, but does it make sense within the parable? Sure, because anything God gives to you, you then give back to him as an investment, right? Suddenly there's a second level spiritual meaning. It's not just the money I'm given, but it's also the uh, time I'm given. It's the talents I'm given. It's the life I'm given. And that is the meaning of the parable. It's not just about money. But the word talent in, in English, even for me, was twisted in a Holy Spirit kind of way to make its point to my friend. The Holy Spirit can do that. Now, we have to be super, super wise <laughs> because it's hard to tell sometimes when someone is reading the Bible out of context, but in a Holy Spirit light. When you look at all of the, like, giant televangelist type ministries out there, the rate at which they take passages out of context to create an empire grounded on finances, not on Jesus, like it's out of control. It's blasphemous to the rate at which it, it takes the Bible and abuses it. And I, I would be wrong to have encouraged that kind of thinking today. But there are moments where God speaks to us out of context. Maybe you've had that happen before. Maybe you were reading your Bible. Jesus said something, and it's not really what he meant, but it hit you in that particular moment in a particular way. Why? Because the Bible is alive. This is God's word. This isn't just a normal book. There's moments where he can bring a second level meaning out of something. I think of this. There's a movie that came out recently called Dear Evan Hansen. Uh, I was sitting in the theater watching a musical. I like musicals. I'm, I'm enjoying it. And then it gets to this one song. And I will never understand fully what happened in this moment. But uh, the girl uh, starts singing to uh, this guy, to Evan, uh, about how uh, he needs to stop belittling himself and that he's good enough just as he is and he's loved just as he is and things like that. And I... I had hardly even heard the words yet, and suddenly everything just felt like it zoomed in on me. I, I literally, I don't know how to explain it, I just, I felt like for a verse and a chorus, God just like straight zoomed in on me and said, this is for you, listen to this. And that wasn't the context of the movie. <laughs> that girl wasn't singing to me. 
That girl was not singing a worship song. She was not singing about Jesus. But in that moment, like every word gripped my heart and it felt like the whole theater was shrinking. And I, I was just stuck in this moment, sitting there trying to hold back my tears as I feel God singing these words over me. Jamin, you're so full of shame all the time. Listen to these words. I love you just as you are. You don't need to prove yourself to me. And then after like the chorus, it was like, it, it was like, oh, because the words went a different route that didn't make sense anymore in my context, but I could feel where it needed to stop. Those words weren't Christian, of course, but it carried a second level of spiritual, um, uh, the Holy Spirit using it to, to communicate something that I needed to hear in that moment. If he can do that with a secular movie about the kind of themes that are in that movie, he can certainly do that with his own scriptures, <laughs> with his own divinely inspired writing. So, can I tell you when and when you can't take things in and out of context in the Bible? I wish I could, but I, I can't always. Uh, there's a Bible scholar named Peter Enns. He basically wrote the book on everything I'm talking about today. It's called, uh, I think it's called Scripture and Inspiration. I read it like five years ago, so I don't fully remember if that's the title. But he does the same thing. He's like, I'm a Bible scholar. I wish I could tell you. <laughs> I wish I could tell you that when you always read Scripture, it needs to be in context. That's what we scholars always aim for. But then he stops and he's like, but the Bible breaks that rule. It quotes itself out of context a lot because they're seeing Jesus reveal himself in new dimensions as they read through the Old Testament. And so I believe that the Bible can reveal levels that God needs to speak to you too. And that's why sometimes you're going to have people come up to you and say, God really touched my heart with this scripture because here's what I'm going through. And you're going to look at their situation and be like, yeah, bro, that's not what that passage means. But you're also going to know at the same time, yeah, I could see how Jesus would say that. I could see how Jesus would illuminate his scriptures in that way. If Paul can go from <laughs> the Psalms of kill the, kill the nations to Jesus loves the nations and died for them so that they might live. Like that's radically different context. The Holy Spirit giving, giving new light. Um, so with that, let's go ahead and pray. And uh, I'd be excited throughout the next week or two as you're reading your Bible, kind of hear the ways in which God's speaking to you through his uh, divinely inspired writing uh, and the new context in, in which he does that, while at the same time recognizing that you shouldn't be abusing the Bible. We click, does it make, does it make any sense? <laughs> I feel like I'm, on two, I'm preaching two opposite extremes at one time. I'm trying to make them meet right here, and that's hard to do because I have to trust that, that you, you are trusting that you are following the Spirit in what you're doing, right? Okay, all right. So God, we thank you for your living, breathing word. Uh, we often talk about other big um, writings throughout the ages as being living, breathing documents, uh, but yours is living and breathing in a different way. It's not living and breathing in a sense that it can be changed. We're not going back through the scriptures and changing what you wrote. But it is living and breathing in a sense that just as you write one thing through David, so Paul can hear it through the lens of Jesus and it all changes. 
So the Holy Spirit can illuminate something out of context and put it in new context that then becomes scripture. The Old Testament in context is scripture. And the Old Testament quoted in the New Testament out of context is also scripture. It's the weirdest thing. But God, you work through people in amazing ways. And you show us how you speak to people through your Bible just by showing us in the Bible these weird moments where you spoke between different authors on the same passage in different lights. So as we read the scripture, God, would you help us on one end of the extreme to be very dedicated to making sure that we understand what you are actually trying to say in context. But then on the other extreme, may we also be open to you speaking to us through the lens of Jesus in a new context, that you might touch our heart, not just on a study level, but also on a spiritual level. And God, I pray protection on everybody's mind here. Uh, We don't want to abuse your word. We don't want to take it in directions that you don't want us to take it to. This thing is monumental to keeping us focused on you. So uh, let us treat it with the dignity and respect that, uh, that it deserves and that you have given to it. We give ourselves to you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.